Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we're going to continue essentially the list of questions that a bunch of high school students have given seminarians and in general asked the church over the span of uh, generations. And as you were giving your answer at the end of the last podcast about why the church is teaching these and, and to rebel or correction to ask the questions and to not just rebel against arbitrarily saying, well, I don't like that answer. So I don't want to listen to it. But the fact that the church has discerned these questions, the church has thought about them. It, it makes me recall something you said in one of our very early episodes was that the church essentially has 2000 years worth of thinking behind it. And it can just build upon each other. You know, we don't need to come up with another St. Thomas Aquinas every generation because we have him, we have his writings, and we can go off of them and grow with them. Now, it's great to have, you know, a Pope, John Paul II, who also gives a great amount of content out there to be able to read off of, but we don't need to come up with it, no, that it's consistent, it's built upon itself, and there's been a lot of thought behind it. And as many of us will see in our own lives, uh, the short-term versus the long-term battle can be very difficult. Uh, Look at anyone who's just starting a diet, and now all of a sudden they're not allowed to have all these foods that they used to really like. That's why they need a diet, because they used to like the bad foods so much, and now they got to stop it. And the challenges of of the short-term eating something that'll taste good versus the long-term health effects can be very challenging, even though intellectually we can understand it. So that's why I I wanted to just highlight that before we started, because there's a lot of knowledge and strength that comes from, from you teaching us here. And the other part of it is, is that I myself went through a Catholic education. It might be 50 different people I've heard these types of answers from, but the church essentially gives the same answers regardless of who is giving the answers. Regardless of who the person is, the content and the message and the truth behind it is the same, which is a consistency that is incredibly powerful, I believe. So with that being said, Father, if if you want to correct anything I just said there before we dive back into the questions, we can correct it or if we can go right into the next question, choice is yours. Yeah, well, I think you make uh, great points, Joe, and I, I definitely agree with that, that uh, there is a consistency and and there's a, a way to understand things and, you know, presenting arguments or presenting answers in a way that uses the right illustrations and kind of hits the right notes and gets people, you know, according to what matters to them. There's a little bit of an art form to that, and I'll I'll be the first to say I'm not the master at that art form. And guys like Father Mike Schmitz has uh, given some excellent teaching uh, on some of these classic questions and certainly would would defer to him. Bishop Barron has done a wonderful job teaching on these questions. So there are quite a few apologists out there now who have really opened up some of these areas and are worth listening to or reading. But I'm happy to offer my own uh, little uh, angle on it as it, as it comes to me, trying to listen to how the Lord wants to speak to me uh, and through me. So, so anyway, um, yeah, ask, ask, ask away. 
Perfect. So, and the other element that, that I've gathered through these, which I think should also resonate is these aren't new questions um, in, in the sense of mankind. You know, these are human natural questions that you can go through various spots in history and see that they, they were relevant just as then as they are today. So I think that sometimes people get this thought process as I'm the first person that's ever had to deal with this. When in reality, it's, it's part of the human condition and almost in a sense, part of the struggle that we have to overcome uh, going through life. So that's a, a, another thought that the head of uh, attacked to me. So the question that the next one that I have up here is I, he wrote this like a high school kid. I give him so much credit for that. He must have wrote it down verbatim. So what's the deal with angels and demons? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the complaint being, I suppose, that we don't uh, see them and we can't measure them. And so they uh, are... They are not scientific realities so much. Science is focused on positivism and what can be uh, detected by the senses and thus measured by instruments. And so they seem a little bit fictitious. Um, at the same time, uh, it's amazing, especially in our time, the amount of credibility that angels and demons get uh, touched by an angel. I think it was a very popular television show and people talk about their experiences of angels. People also talk about their experiences of demons and oppression and possession. And we have haunted house stories and uh, things that are pretty hard to argue with on the extraordinary, the extreme end. And all of us uh, experience some kind of temptation and things on the lighter end. And we, we feel like there are some powers outside of us at work that we uh, can't necessarily account for. I would even point, you know, science has developed this concept of, uh, of forces, gravitational force and uh, nuclear forces and magnetic force and has seen how some of those things work. We seem, for some reason, we're, we're ready to believe that, oh, those forces just kind of exist and you just sort of have to live with them. And what could think of angels in some sense as a, a personal uh, application of those forces that, you know, that there are kind of angels that are making those bodies attract and that are carrying out God's will in this absolute way in order to make things work. And then when things go out of control, you know, there's some demonic interference with that. That's a little bit too simplistic. But anyway, just to point out, there are these kinds of unseen realities that we uh, believe in and deal with every day. And so, well, uh, the church recognizes that there are some unseen realities in the, in the world of, of spirits, angels, and demons. And so the, the church has always understood that God created pure spirits. We, we are a mixture of animal and angel. We are a mixture of body and spirit. We are embodied spirits or animated bodies. We are uh, uh, a little angelic in our ability to think and to choose our intellect and free will. We're a little bit animal in our bodies, passions, emotions. And so uh, 
and also our destructibility. We can die, our bodies can die, and we can have this separation of body and soul. So uh, angels have been understood from just the even the philosophical perspective of, okay, well, what if you separated the human spirit from the human body? What, what would a pure spirit look like? What would a, how would a pure spirit behave? And so it's been the topic of philosophers and theologians to kind of explore that territory. Um, but it's certainly a portion that in the beginning, God made angels. Uh, also, there is was some kind of test that angels had to undergo in order to enter into the beatific vision, in order to enter into full communion with God, and so that they could exercise their free will. And so whatever that test was exactly is not clear, although the tradition has often been that God revealed to the angels that he would become a human being in Jesus Christ. And uh, something like a third of the angels rebelled against God at that idea. They were just not willing to serve a human being. We're not willing to tolerate the idea that God could become human. And uh, humans are kind of lesser creatures. Our, our bodies are messy. Uh, our, the dirt from which we are made is makes us uh, messy creatures that we... Uh, anyway, uh, angels rebelled against this idea, these pure spirits worshiping, bowing down, serving uh, a fleshy creature was horrendous to them. And they uh, rebelled, maybe also thought if God really became a human being, we could kill him, we could destroy him. And in fact, they did. And that's what we call the crucifix. We, we call Calvary. God was killed ultimately by the orchestration of demons who uh, wanted to destroy him. Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ illustrates that very powerfully after Christ dies, his breathes his last, and then Satan is, is shown in a kind of victory cry, which then zooms out and he realizes he's completely alone because the moment of his triumph became the moment of his greatest defeat with his uh, killing of God actually becoming the pathway to the resurrection. And uh, anyway, so so angels and demons are thoroughly a part of divine revelation. They're all through the scriptures. And uh, I think we can connect with them in our own experience. We've if we start paying attention to, well, you know, those moments of inspiration, for example, why did that idea come just then? You know, why? I, I was thinking about that for a long time, and then finally something just fell into place. Well, where did it fall into place from? Uh, when we look at the kinds of natural forces around us, uh, could angels be moving the planets? That's always been the traditional view. We scoff at that in Christianity, but why not? Angels are actually faithful enough in order to move planets at a perfect pace and never deviate in that. Uh, where there was there an angel behind the star that led the magi to find the the newborn baby in in Bethlehem? You know, so uh, opening up the spiritual reality to see that the world is alive, that there's an intelligence all around us, and an intelligence which is in accord with the will of God, also an intelligence that has set itself against the will of God. And we have that sense of like, ah, it seems like somebody is colluding against me. It seems like everything is going wrong. And well, could be demonic. <laughs> there could be an intelligence behind the things that are going wrong. 
doesn't mean that everything is going wrong as a demon and everything that goes right as an angel, but some things that go wrong are really uh, demonic and an effort to take us down and undermine things, expose things. So, uh, so just the basic thing is, again, that, that there's a spiritual reality, first of all. There is an unseen reality. God himself is an unseen reality. There is an unseen reality, a spiritual world, and uh, we can know something about that world. We don't understand it completely. And uh, there's part of that world that's very much obedient to God and on our side. And that accounts for some of the inspiration, some of the guidance that we get, some of the supernatural protection. If I had a dollar for everybody that told me that an angel, their guardian angel, had saved them from this car accident or this terrible fire or had saved them from being in the wrong place at the wrong time, um, we, we see that there's an intelligence. There's something more than just randomness that's guiding our activities. And so there's uh, something angelic about that. And anyway, those are that's a it's a basic starting point in terms of understanding uh, angels and demons. Yeah. So in general, we have a hard time accepting things we don't understand. Um, and I, I like the way that, that you put that there, just kind of identifying where we are as, as people. And that leads us into the next question, which is kind of the natural progression of where you're at here is what is the church's stance on issues of faith when they seem like they're against science and vice versa the way you would ask that question are faith and science uh opposed or is the church uh creating some tension there um yeah uh you know, I'm just thinking, Joe, as I'm aware that our, our connection, this podcast in the last is not the best because I'm uh, in a, a different place and trying to use uh, LTE uh, wi wireless to connect the uh, for, our, for our recording. Um, you know, is there a little angelic support or demonic interference in some of our some of the technology here? Like who can account for exactly why? It works for 10 minutes and then doesn't work for 13 seconds and then works for another 10 minutes and then doesn't work for, you know, like, can you actually track all that down? There's a certain level of, of chaos and uncertainty that even technology, I mean, I, my background's in computer science and there are chaos theories that more accurate, accurately model certain phenomena than anything that we could make deterministic. And so uh, there is a certain amount of fuzz in a lot of things that we deal with and we just kind of blank them out but you know is there uh, also some <laughs> ways that that god's will breaks through to uh in those areas and uh and certainly i believe there is so uh in terms of science and faith you know that's what i'm just describing there in that answer too is that uh, you know science has a certain model and has a certain method for discerning truth. And science has uh, been very effective as an experimental method, depending on uh, careful construction of hypotheses and reproducible results that can be validated by a scientific community. Uh, there is a whole scientific method there, which 
I certainly know very well, and having published technical papers in computer science and given talks at conferences, and anyway, I've been in that world well enough to, to know some of what's going on there. Um, so science is a wonderful tool, and it's a wonderful method for finding part of the truth. Uh, science doesn't have too much to say about love or even in some ways about life. What, what is it that uh, makes something alive? Where is the spirit of life in a plant or in an animal or in a human being? Uh, can you put your finger on it exactly? Can you make something that's dead into something that's alive? You know, science isn't able to do some of those things. Um, but Anyway, science is, is able to get a certain slice of reality and get a window on truth and do that in a very powerful way so that it can lead to the development of technologies that we're using right now to record this podcast, which are wonderful technologies that make our electricity go and make our highways work and our planes get from one place to the next. And some of the things that have made the world a much smaller place and a safer place have been scientific advances, technological advances. So there's something wonderful about science. And the church is fully supportive of science. The, the first academy of the sciences was run by the church, the, the, the academy of the lynxes. And one of the first prominent members was Galileo Galilei. He was uh, on the church's payroll and was part of this uh, a society established by the church. Church. And there is still a pontifical academy of the sciences, and the church still makes significant scientific contributions. Uh, the Big Bang Theory was developed by a priest, Monsignor George Lemaitre. Uh, genetic theory is based on the work, the original work of Brother Gregor Mendel, who was an Augustinian uh, monk in, a number of centuries ago. Uh, the, the church has made incredible contributions to science. And, and so, so the church has been very supportive of the sciences and, and my own college, St. Vincent College, established science departments uh, back in the 1880s. Our physics department goes back to 1883 or something like that. So this kind of false dichotomy between faith and science is really one that should be resisted. They're, they're not opposed to each other. They're really complementary to each other. Uh, science analyzes and breaks things down in order to tease apart the details and then also make small adjustments and, and harness the power that's there. Um, so science observes, uh, you know, the stars and, and turns them into a, a map of movements. But there's, a, there's another part of humanity which is really important and beautiful, and that's expressed in, in poetry. And we might set up poetry and prose against each other as another illustration of faith and science. Poetry is not trying to describe in uh, fine, fine detail the structure of something. It's trying to use images. It's trying to use symbols. It's trying to evoke an experience. It's trying to help us enter into a reality in a different way. And faith is more like is a little more like poetry, and uh, and science is a little bit more like prose, and they they mutually support each other. Poetry needs to uh, also be expressible in in prose, and and prose needs to also relax a little bit to allow the the images and symbols, the experiences of poetry to emerge. 
Um, it's a little like our waking state and our dream state. You know, there's a, a lot of things or, or the analytical versus the intuitive. And so there's a complementarity that's there in faith and reason that mutually support each other like with the church and science and they shouldn't be set opposed to each other but really see how they work together one of the things that science doesn't do for example is it doesn't have an ethic it doesn't it doesn't say anything about morally good moral good or moral evil and so uh, science could discover for example an even more efficient way to kill people doesn't mean that people should use it and it doesn't mean that uh you know science doesn't say one way or the other whether it should be, whether it ought to be. That's a moral evaluation. Uh, but science can discover that. It's the church's role, ultimately, to say, no, human life is the highest priority, not scientific achievement. And so you can't just kill people for the sake of science or kill people just because you're able to kill people. Uh, or kill people in more painful and horrendous ways or more efficient ways. You can't just do that. There's, there's a structure to reality and, and there's a certain sanctity and things that needs to be respected. And so one of the ways that the church helps to shape science is also ethically to say, well, you know, there's a moral good and a moral evil. We have to explore these things, use these things in a different way. And you and I talked about stem cells, one of our previous podcasts, and the way that embryonic stem cells destroy human beings. Adult stem cells do not. And so the church has very vigorously supported the uh, research with adult stem cells, which have been, which has been incredibly productive. There's a lot of good that has come from the use of adult stem cells. Furthermore, science pushed by that ethos of protecting human life has found some ways to get embryonic stem cells that don't destroy human beings from, um, from the core, the umbilical cord of uh, newborn babies, for example, or from the blood that's in the umbilical cord. So, uh, Again, there isn't an opposition. The, the church is respecting certain fixed points like the sanctity of human life. And science is exploring the nature of reality and how to manipulate it in order to create tools. But how those tools are used uh, needs to be guided by an ethos. So both in the, in the wonder that, the, that faith provides, something transcendent, a meaning that's not evident to science. Science doesn't determine meaning. It just determines facts. Uh, there's a different structure that has to determine meaning. And that's a little bit like that interaction of poetry and prose. Uh, and, and then also in terms of guiding the, the, the morality of scientific discoveries and achievements, technologies, in order that we build more uh, yeah, uh, power plants and fewer nuclear weapons, I suppose, or something like that. Well, I, I certainly thank you for that answer. I think that that's some of the things that as we look around and, and get questions out of it, that we get in our own zones as far as where we're at in life. Um, you know, and to sit back and to think about how life was back when you were in high school and, and to get their thought process and some of these questions addressed to us here today, I, I think in its own right is, is a very helpful exercise to, if for nothing else, to, to brighten the way of think about where you're at now in your life versus some of the thoughts that you had back when you were in high school and things of that nature. And 
and how you may have grown and how to uh, to help those around you that might be going through this. So I, I thank you, Father, for giving, again, the, the consistent answers that come from only two millennia of teaching and praying and thinking about can give you, that there's a consistency there, which ultimately means that it has to be grounded in truth. And again, one of the things that I think is so valuable in the in having you be the, the podcast here is that you know things and, and, and the knowledge source that you're tapping from is a pragmatic faith that has truth behind it that we don't have that advantage in many other areas of our life. And these being essentially human nature type questions that we've went through that really is what every human has had to deal with in one capacity or another. And sure, we get people criticizing about the structures of the way that the church is constructed. And there are questions about that in here as well um, that we can dive into in a future episode. But uh, as far as the core teachings, particularly about the, the human truths, to, to have the, the rich source of the faith and, and the knowledge behind it. I, I thank you for giving us that and being so well-versed in it. So with that being said, Father, I want to give you a chance to, to give the final word here as we conclude for this week and prepare to move into next week. Well, thanks, Joe. And I, I think, again, I just would want to emphasize, you know, it's one of um, Bishop Barron's basic uh proposals is, you know, the church is beautiful and the church is smart. And if anybody is encountering, a, you know, an area of the church that is either not beautiful or not smart, well, don't settle for that. Uh, if people are describing the church in a way that make her sound neither beautiful nor smart, don't settle for that. All of the great art and architecture, music, the, the beauty that's been produced in the in the arts and the, the beautiful truth, the poetry, the prose, the incredible treatises throughout the ages. I mean, there's just an incredible beauty in the church. And there's a, an incredible intelligence. Uh, there's none of our listeners who's more intelligent than St. Thomas Aquinas. I, probably if they were, they would have gotten tired of listening to me by now. So I think I can say that with a fair amount of confidence. Uh, none of our listeners, and certainly I'm not, more intelligent than St. Thomas Aquinas. And he's just one of the examples of the kind of brilliant people who have been in the church. And as you said uh, very well at the beginning of our uh, episode this time, you know, we don't need to have a Thomas Aquinas in every generation. We still have his full Summa, Summa Theologica and all of his various uh, Summa Contra Gentiles and his commentaries on scripture. And we have all that. So we have to keep digesting that. And, you know, certainly the he didn't have to deal with the same questions of science that we're dealing with now. He, he didn't certainly didn't deal with stem cell research and things like that. But he did uh, deal with the big, the big concepts. And so uh, we need to draw on that. So uh, just to say simply, don't settle for less, you know, ask the questions and then also know that there are answers when people have silly answers like, well, because I told you so, or that's just how it is or whatever. 
okay, well, go go deeper than that. There's there's more out there. And and again, the catechism is a good source. Start to look some of these things up. You could just look up the article science in the catechism and you'd find a lot and start to understand a whole way of approaching reality that would be very enriching. So, but anyway, I'm ha happy that people are tuning in, listening to us, and we can provide a little contribution to some of those questions as well. There, as I said, a lot of people who are doing that these days, and so happy to to be one of those. Yes, and thank you for being an active participant in this, Father. So we thank everyone out there for for helping us grow. Uh, I mean, certainly we have grown tremendously, and we thank you guys for for telling people around you. And we ask you to continue to do so. If you if you know someone who could benefit from it, please let them know. Um, it is one of the joys of of the technology here, especially if you're getting it uh, through an Apple device. You can literally text the link to anyone that you want. So we, we thank you guys for for being with us here and and helping us to grow throughout the lands. So we'll be with you again next week, and we'll talk to you then.